Hello, I'm Hope Katz Gibbs, creator of the Incandescent Radio Network, here with my friend and colleague, Tony Farmer, host of the Black Lives Matter radio show. We are thrilled you are here with us today. So let's get started. Hello and welcome to the Black Lives Matter radio show on the Incandescent Radio Network. I'm Hope Katz Gibbs, founder of Incandescent, here tonight with the host of the show, Tony Farmer, dear friend of mine in Washington, D.C., who is a diversity expert and life coach, and he's going to interview the amazing Angela Mitchell. So let me introduce you to the CEO and president of Case Management Consulting, also based in Washington. She is a, It's a multi-million 8A certified minority women-owned company. Case delivers secure, high-quality web-based process automation tools and knowledge management solutions. She guides organizations through change, focusing on business processes and technology. She says, our mission is to provide leaders with real data to make better business decisions. So we are excited to hear about that. But let me also say that she's the co-founder and director of Kids Code 2, a nonprofit focused on building computer skills for kids in elementary school. So please talk a lot about that. And now I'm going to throw it over to the host, Tony Farmer. Angela, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Uh, it's a, it's such a joy for me to be able to interview you. You and I go way back. We go way back. I mean, I think we are working on 20 years thereabouts. Yes. yes. I think so. Uh, not that you look a day over 20. Uh, all of, <laughs> fortunately for both of us, all of the gray has landed on me. And I'm going to continue to do that because this, this really is all about you and your season and all of the wonderful things that you're doing. And I consider you a baby sister, if, if I can say that. Uh, maybe uh, when you're talking to a grown woman, you should say younger sister, but <laughs> this is kind of how I categorize you in my head. And so uh, our audience should know that, um, and which also makes me very kind of protective of you and making sure that People see you in the proper light. I'm so proud of everything that you've done. And so uh, we do what as much as we can to try to prepare our guests for these interviews. But I would be remiss if I didn't throw you a couple of curveballs based on how well I know you. So uh, as we start to move through the interview, here's how I'm going to start. When you and I met, when we first started hanging out, I saw you as an athlete, right? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so, so talk to us about athletics. Talk about talk to us about your drive, and talk to us how about how you use that competitive nature to migrate in your uh, business life. Okay, sure. Yes, um, when we worked together back in a Fortune 500 company, I was playing in a basketball league and um, a co-ed basketball league, which I'm very familiar with. Um, so I was actually the first girl to play on an all-boys basketball team in Arlington, Virginia. I grew up in the area. Um, that was uh, unprecedented for sure um, in Arlington. My dad had to go to the county to petition them to allow me to play. Um, I had two older brothers that were very good in sports, um, basketball, baseball. So I started off actually playing basketball, baseball. I only played with guys. I was always the only girl. Um, so my dad definitely um, used sports to kind of teach me and teach my brothers that we can do anything that we want. Don't let anything hold us back. Because if I saw a team of all boys, that doesn't mean I can't play either. So 
So it sounds like that was a good foundation for you as you matriculated through life and business and career, right? Yeah. This, this idea that nothing is above you, right? Nothing is too much of a challenge. Talk to us a little bit about your relationship with your dad and, and how you use that to, to build on some of the things you're working on now. Sure. So um, my dad actually was the first Black auditor at National Science Foundation. So um, he worked there for 30 years. But the funny story is the only reason he got hired <laughs> is because of his bad handwriting. Um, so he actually went to Howard University, but um, they thought he wrote Harvard University. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so once he got his foot in the door, though, then he really just soared. And um, he was he worked in the Inspector General's office and really always always told us again, the sky is is the limit. Like you you definitely need to take risks. You need to um, push the boundaries. And the other big thing was just don't don't look at ourselves as, as saying that we've got this disadvantage and it's too big for us to overcome. Um, he always said, face a challenge head on. Um, don't be upset about having challenges. It's a good thing. It pushes you. So I actually look use that as the fire to always push the boundaries and never um, never use that as something to stop me. And at the Fortune 500 company that we have worked together at. Um, you know, I was one of the youngest African-American female uh, senior associates at the company. So um, another one where I was usually not, it, I wasn't the, um, I was only one in the room that looked like me, put it that way, <laughs> and making business decisions and, and things like that. But I never let that stop me. Um, I definitely use, I, I definitely use skill sets and just my personality to win people over. And then once they saw the personality and saw who I was as a person, and then really started looking at the work and what I could deliver. We talk a lot about diversity. We talk a lot about equity and belonging on this show. And one of the things that I hear in my day-to-day -day walk in my professional life is how troublesome, how challenging it can be to be the only person of color in the room and the only woman of color in the room, how that, can, how that can impact people in a very deep way. When you entered those rooms being one of the youngest and one of the only people of color and one of the only women, give us some thoughts uh, on how you navigated that and, and how you would advise others to navigate that. So I would say, um, first of all, I... I <laughs> I didn't realize how much of um, people were looking up to me until at a later time when I joined the African-American Forum at the company, I really started um, putting the word out there. You know, I, I didn't really promote that I was a senior associate at the company. Um, I had been a senior associate for maybe three, four years before others in our community realized, wow, this is an African-American woman and the internet and, and um, intelligence community at, um, you know, here that uh, is a lead. So after I saw that people wanted reaching out for me to mentor them, then I really started to, to try to put my story out there um, more and, and seeing that I could um, help others. But when in entering the room, again, I saw it as I'm the first girl on the boys basketball team. So <laughs> it, it was nothing different. Um, I just had to show and prove myself. Um, 
to them. My older brothers actually to get me prepped for basketball and stuff. They were six and eight years older than me. So they used to take me to go play picked up basketball with the other guys and they would push me around and I'd fall on the ground. And then, you know, people were, you know, would, would say, oh, sorry, we didn't mean to do that. And I'm like, no, push me around like everybody else. <laughs> I don't mind. Um, so I actually enjoy and it's, it's a challenge to me um, to see to uh, to see if I can overcome it. And it really doesn't take me long. I sit back a little bit. I don't go into the room and, you know, fires are blazing and try to overtalk everybody in the room. Um, I would say I, I go into the room, I listen, I kind of read the room, see who's there, see who's the one that is talking the most, see who, you know, so I think reading the room is really important. Um, seeing who's respected in the room, who listens when, who's, when, when others are talking. Um, and then usually what I would do is after the meeting, go and introduce myself. Um, so not during the meeting, not trying to take the spotlight or, spotlight or anything, introduce, them, introduce myself, introduce kind of the accomplishments that I've, I've done. And then, um, and then from there, I would, as meetings went along, I'd start to speak up, I'd start to ask questions. Um, I, I'd say one thing that I would really recommend is to have a voice in the meeting, um, to ask questions, to bring ideas out um, because of the fact People remember, even if you're right or wrong, people remember that you spoke up and you said something. So um, I think there is a time and place for it. What was the toughest thing about navigating that, that Fortune 500 corporate environment? Uh, so you'd already gotten this spirit of competition that you developed from your dad and your brothers. You already understood the dynamic of walking in and, 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 and being the only girl playing on the boys team but uh, what, what, was, what was tough? Uh, what, what other kind of challenges did you have to deal with that you didn't anticipate right off? So actually it was more so when I was leaving the company that mm -hmm. you know, I wasn't expecting um, friends, you know, I'll call them friends that I thought were friends. And that had, I had built a rapport with, felt like I had the respect from them. Um, and then, when, when I announced that I was leaving the company and was starting, starting a new company, um, they turned nasty. <laughs> and, you know, making comments such as, uh, oh, must be nice to be, uh, to be a female. And to, yes, <laughs> to my face. <laughs> okay. Very well to say that, um, to say that the only reason I got, you know, that Booz Allen or the Fortune 500 company was supporting me so much is because I was a female. Um, and not wow. because I knew how to run a company and how I knew, you know, how to deliver to clients and that I could be a great team and a teammate and a great partner to them. Um, so that was shocking to me. I would also say what was shocking to me is that it was expected that if I, I was presented with, before I left, an opportunity to try to get principal, which was the next level. Um, and, and, and the way that it was presented to me is, you know, we want to put together a principal package for you because you, um, we don't see a lot of you. We, we need we need an African American female in the principal ranks. It wasn't because we feel like you can really lead this company in this area, and it was because it led with your African American female. And basically, we need to hit our numbers. <laughs> Is what it translated to. 
Um, and I just, I wasn't interested in that. Um, you know, I, I don't mind, again, I like shocking people. I like, um, you know, walking into a room and, and, and being different than what people expected. However, I don't want to get anything just because I am an African-American female. I want to get it because I earned it and because I, I deserve that spot. And so that also helped me push me out the door and to go ahead and start my own thing. So one of the things that I know is of the utmost importance to you is your role as a mom. And again, when I you know, travel in professional circles and mentoring becomes part of the conversation, I know a lot of my female cohorts have these conversations about, uh, I can't have it all. I have to make sacrifices. Either I am a great mom and a terrible business person, or I'm a great business person and a terrible mom. Uh, you have managed to navigate these waters pretty elegantly and, and pretty, pretty um, uh, smoothly, if I might say. Uh, you, you, your kids appear to be very well adjusted and, and you seem to have a wonderful relationship with them. Tell us what your secret is. Share with our audience what your secret is. I will say, so I don't do it on my own. I have a support system. So, um, you know, so I am divorced, but my ex-husband um, plays a large part. We share custody. So I have my kids every other week. Um, and, but the weeks that I have them, I'm focused on my kids. I'm focused on um, making sure that they see me as a lead and what I'm doing from a corporate standpoint, but then also see the soft side as a mom. I try to teach, you know, I try to teach in everything I do. My daughter is at 11 years old, wanted to start her own company. So she started an organization business. And again, you know, she, she doesn't think that there's a handout for anything. It's always, if I do this, how much will I get paid for it? <laughs> <laughs> but we don't go to the store and she says, I want this, I want that. She's bringing her money with her because she understands the importance of you, you know, you just don't get a handout. Um, so I would say participating in sporting events. My mom is very supportive. She lives right next to me. Um, so she helps me out quite a bit. Um, but I would say, yeah, it's a healthy balance. They see that I work, they understand that I need to work. Um, and, um, but I also have fun with them. Um, and, and I help them with projects. And so I'm lucky in that I can really focus 100% on them every other week and, and, and then can focus kind of a little bit more on the business and then flip flop. Um, I will say, and, and I'll kind of bring up the whole kids code to uh, work, but uh, the reason I started it was because of my involvement with my daughter in the school that she was in. Um, so in our neighborhood, we're in a title one um, school district, which is where 50% um, free lunch, more than 50% of the school have to take free lunch. So um, she was in third grade. She was in the advanced class in the in the in the school, um, and they have the SOLs, um, standards of learning tests. Twenty six kids in the class. Um, only two of the twenty six passed the exams, and they were the advanced class. So as I'm and I, and I you know as I look back, there's there wasn't homework coming home. I go and talk to one of the teachers when we was on the field trip, and. And I said, you know, I don't see a lot of homework coming home or projects. And, you know, why is that? And she said, well, because, you know, half most of the students, they don't have a support system at home. They don't have technology at home. 
Um, so at the end of the day, if we give them homework, send things home, then we're not going to get it returned to us anyways. So we don't even send things home. And so I thought that that was very unfortunate. Um, you know, at the time in, in third grade, and had, I didn't have enough time to really like turn around the school. I, I did pull my daughter out, um, but that's when I came up with the idea of if if kids had computers at home, not only if they had kids uh, computers, if they were the ones that built the computers themselves, um, they would use that time at home to try to teach themselves computer literacy, computer science. Um, if I taught them a little bit of coding, uh, you know, what the art of possibility would be for them. So um, that's when I kind of came up with that idea. Um, and I focus on third to um, eighth graders and I focus in underserved communities. Um, and so that, that, that project ended up turning into, um, you know, case, the, uh, we, um, we donated several computers to a, a school, Braddock Elementary, um, and we came in and we taught over the summer, the kids, and, uh, and it was a really cool experience. It, it was a one week program. We taught them to build the computers and the code in a week. And so those same third and eighth graders at the beginning, when I told them, you guys are going to build this computer. And they said, no, we aren't. We're not smart enough to do that. And I said, well, my, my um, nine-year-old son did it. You guys can do it. No, we're not smart enough. And so by the end of that week, they built the computers. They were able to take them apart. And then when I wasn't even there, um, the STEM lead told me that they took those computers apart and taught the next set of kids. So not only did they learn how to build the computer themselves, but they then want, learned teaching skills. And how do I teach somebody else to do that? And this is in third grade. So, you know, and these are kids that previously would have never thought about computers. They would have never thought about coding. And now they are at home. I go back to the school. I still meet with some of the kids. And they're telling me about these coding projects that they're working on. So it's super exciting. Angela, you know how much respect I have for you. and. Uh, I just want to commend you for all that you're doing in the community. I think it's so important to point out that if you invest just a little bit of time, effort, and energy into our youngsters, into our young people, that the harvest from that can be glorious. You know, you start off, the kids, many of them can't even afford computers. Uh, you go to, well, uh, because they don't have that technology at home at at their uh, at their hands that they can utilize, uh, they they don't do well on tests or they don't do well in schools. And then, in fact, it sounds like to a large degree the schools kind of just gave up. Well, we would give them homework, but we know we're not going to get it back, so why bother, right? And right. so to take that situation, uh, and then to and 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 also to know that you have the means to put your daughter in a private school, but then the wherewithal and the social responsibility to then think about the other kids that, that might not have the resources that you have available to you. I just, I just have to uh, just commend you on that. And I have to make a point to highlight that because it sometimes it just takes a little bit of energy, effort, and investment to, to deposit into fertile minds and then your Kids Code 2 program is an example of what kids can do when, when they're given the opportunity, right? It's not like you came in and, you know, 
gave them brand new computers. You, you gave them the opportunity to build the computers themselves with their own hands so that they understood uh, uh, the fruit of their own efforts. So, so to that, I, I wanna commend you. I also want you, you told me a story and I'm gonna let you tell me what you're comfortable sharing with our audience. But you also said you had an opportunity to meet with some uh, educators on expanding this. Tell me what the, the tenor of that conversation was and share as much as you're comfortable sharing. Sure, so I met with the superintendent of a very large school district um, in, the, in the area. And, um, and he had seen the work that the kids were doing. He had stopped by the school and saw, saw the work and he said, you know what, you should follow up with my office because we'd like to expand this to the other schools in the district. So I went, had a separate meeting with his staff um, and started to talk about the program. And they said, we're so excited about this. This is awesome. This is great. We'd love to, you know, I have all these schools that would be interested. So I said, great, you know, and at the end of the day, we did, we need funding to buy the computers to, you know, so I was going there also for, hey, how, how, how can we get funding also to help with this? So um, I said, I'm really focused on the underserved community. Um, and so they said, well, actually the schools we're thinking about are the more affluent um, schools where the parents can afford to pay for the computers. We, you know, this program will fly there. It, it'll, go, it'll go great. It's a lot harder in the underserved communities because they don't have as much money and um, they have transportation issues and, um, you know, the, the families aren't as involved. So, you know, we can definitely help and support and push in this program um, if it's focused on the more affluent sc uh, schools, but um, it's just too hard of a leap at the Title I schools and the underserved communities. And so my answer to that was, that's the whole purpose of the program, um, is we wanna reach that target. And while it would be really cool and I could get this program you know, to reach several different people, um, I really am only focused on that community. So I am not interested in, in focusing on that area, in that demographic. I really am focused on the demographic of the underserved community. And I walked away from the meeting. And what's interesting is I was already prepped for that meeting by the um, STEM coordinator at the school that I work with. And she said, you're wasting your time because we don't get the grants. We apply for the grants all the time and it's not our schools that get the grants and the money. And that was very sad. And I, I actually didn't believe her until I went and met with them. And, and, and it confirmed it. And it's sad because you know those are the schools that really need it. And those aren't the ones that are getting the money. So, if you had an opportunity to talk to parents in underserved communities and how they might be able to support not just you, but their kids, what would you tell them? What, what is the missing ingredient that parents out there need who may be in underserved communities in order to level the playing field? Um, that's a good question. Um, what I would say is the school that I worked with, actually the principal got principal of the year two years ago. Um, she increased the SOL scores, African-American female, increased the SOL scores when, when she came on board. And really it was just involving the families. She had the parents coming to the schools. She, you know, um, it, they, they got free food trucks that were coming and bringing food. 
Um, they said, hey, we're gonna teach you parents as well. Um, and I would say, so after, when I did the program during the summer, the parents would come and pick up the kids. Um, and a, a good majority of them were um, Spanish speaking, English as a second language. But they were able to tell me in English about how much their kids were smiling when they were at home. And all they could talk about is what they did with these computers the day before. And, you know, thanking me for, for you know, all of the support and everything. And that they, this is, this is the happiest they've seen them, you know, doing schoolwork and then wanting to do it on their own afterwards. So I would say from a parent standpoint, just get involved, um, you know, be, and a lot of these things are free. Scratch, I use Scratch programming to teach them, scratch.org. Um, and, um, and the only thing that isn't free are these computers. However, if you do have computers at home, they can learn Scratch on their own. Um, it is a, a very easy um, program to, um, to use. Um, and I would say the other big thing is just let them know that it is possible for them to be computer engineers. That's really, all it is is instilling confidence in them. And that was, you know, to see those same faces and those same kids that said, we aren't able to do this. We are not smart enough. And by the end of that week to see their confidence and that they are the ones that's teaching other kids now, and they couldn't wait to share their project or their program that they had that they had built during that week. Um, it it was priceless, priceless. And all it took was somebody saying, "I believe in you. We need you. I will hire you." And you know, ultimately, how these two um, worlds connect is that I run a software um, development company, and we do focus on you know with the government and intelligence community. However. I can't find enough developers. They just aren't out there. Aren't, there aren't enough people going to school for it. There not, aren't enough people that are interested in it. So I thought, let me tap into a demographic that usually isn't going after this, you know, this subject area or um, this field of study. And so, and see if, if I just plant a little seed, would they be interested? And I definitely, you know, prove my hypothesis that planting the seed is enough um, and just the parents just encouraging them. So, Angela, this, you mentioned something because one of the things that you know I've done in another life is recruitment. And one of the toughest things is to develop a pipeline of qualified, yes. capable engineers. And it doesn't matter if it was, you know, software development. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, Java. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, QA. It, mm -hmm. it is it has always been challenging to have a pipeline. Right. Yeah. And here you are developing a pipeline at the fifth and sixth grade, which I think is wonderful. Um, but I would I would say I, my, my question to you would be, let's flip the script a little bit. Let's talk about the companies, the corporations and the universities, the schools that at the at the higher academic levels. Right. That can they can observe what you're doing with these kids and maybe develop a pipeline of their own. What would your message to them be? Yeah, so they're actually a part of the whole plan and the whole ecosystem that I have. Cause you know, I've got, I've always got a big plan or a big vision. Yes, you do. Yes, <laughs> so, always. <laughs> so it's starting with the kids, but um, you know, so actually we had used some, some of the kids from middle school and high school when I did the summer program to sit at the tables with the kids. So they were also teaching now at the middle school and high school level. Um, what I really would like is I would like a community of kids in college that look like these kids, 
that are there as mentors um, to help them when they're in the third to eighth grade range um, to even if it's just reaching out and being and showing them, hey, in college, this is what I'm focused on. I'm doing this degree program. This is what I can. This is how I can use it in the future. Um, or you know, coming into the schools during their during the summer breaks and helping out with this program and teaching the kids. So, um, which also gives them valuable um, lessons and gives them experience as well for the working world. I mean, right there is great experience that any corporation, you know, that is in the IT spaces that they see that these kids are teaching others um, about coding or about, uh, you know, computer science. Um, I think that's a great story as well that helps them get, get, get jobs. So I think it's, you know, definitely in the elementary schools, those are the kids that are being taught the middle and high school and college are the ones that are mentors, are also teachers in this area, that then all evolve to be great employees and, um, you know, as a part of this whole recruiting engine, um, that then now I can hire them and I can bring them on board um, and I can find er talent very early. <laughs> <laughs> you certainly developed a, a, a brand loyalty early on in life. Yes. That's, that's a fact. I love it. Um, I, I cannot, I would be amiss if I did not talk a little bit or ask you a little bit about case management and your decision to become an entrepreneur. Um, again, I can't, I can't tell you, uh, I don't have the words to tell you how proud I am of you and, and to see where you've come from and to see where you've, where you've climbed in your career. But here's, here's the fact of the matter. You went from being an employee to a senior associate um, to an entrepreneur, and now you are a multi-million dollar organization. Tell us a little bit about your decision to become an entrepreneur and tell us a couple of secrets to your success. Actually, I had filed paperwork in 2015 for the company, for a case. And um, 2015 was a, a special year. Um, and so in 2015, my dad passed away from cancer. He had a 17 year battle with cancer. Um, but we were lucky enough and, and we found out, um, you know, at the, when, when he first uh, was diagnosed, it was in its advanced stages. So at that point, my dad worked at National Science Foundation still at the time. So he he retired and then really focused on, okay, I need to travel. I need to, you know, do everything that I haven't done yet that I want to do. Um, he was on experimental drugs at Johns Hopkins, and that afforded him another 17 years um, to be able to really take risks and be able to say, you know, he's done all that he wanted. We were very blessed to have him for that additional 17 years. Um, but we knew a couple of weeks ahead of time that um, that he was gonna be passing. And so my brothers and I, you know, we sat with him every day and and he told us, he said, you know, we're crying or I'm crying. And I'm like, I don't want you to go dad. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I'm ready. I am ready. I have done everything that I wanted to do. And he said, um, what I want is I want the same for you guys. I want you guys to be able to say the same thing. So he said, I want you all to take risks because that's what I ultimately ended up doing. Don't play it safe. If there's stuff that you want to do, go and take that risk. Because if you don't, you never know that it could or, or, or wouldn't be able to be possible. And if you, if you don't hit it the mark, so what? Okay, you learned a lesson and you move on from that. So that is really what um, 
in, in J July is when he passed away. Um, and then that's when in uh, September, I was talking to my boss at the time and I told him, you know, I'm thinking about starting my own company, you know, and I thought he was going to say, no, no, don't do it. And so um, he said, you know what? He said, you should. And he said, if you do, um, I'm coming with you. So I said, <laughs> oh, you're, you're kidding me, blah, blah, blah. So I thought he was joking and literally serious as a heart attack. And he said, no, I'm serious. And he said, Angela, you know, you've, you've worked for me for a couple of years now. I'm so impressed by what you can do and your capabilities. And um, he said, I, I would be honored to work with you um, and to for us to help start this company. So he is actually my co-founder. He didn't start until a year after I had um, gone and started the business. But um, Dave DeMartin, love him to death. Um, I would say one of the, because I do sometimes miss, forget to really say what he did, you know, for me. And I would say Abuza, he's, a, you know, white male. Um, and I worked for him. Um, I've been a senior associate for six years. When he started as my boss, I was uh, paid less than people that were below me. And when he came to be my, my, um, my boss, he said, um, he didn't talk to me. It was assessment time. And I, when I got my raise, I was shocked. It was a very high raise. And I said, wow, I wasn't expecting this. And he said, you deserve it. And he said, let me tell you about my conversations I had. I wanted to know why you were so underpaid. You've been a senior associate for six years and you, would, you are very underpaid. There's people under you that are making more than you. And the answer was, well, she didn't ask. She didn't ask. And, um, and he said, that's not right. <laughs> Just because she didn't ask doesn't mean that she doesn't deserve it. And, um, and it just isn't right. So that was, you know, that really tells you how, who he is as a person. And that's really who I wanted to bring on as a partner because my company is very people focused and people development. It isn't a butts and seeds company. So, so anyways, I talked to him and he, so he gave me a little bit more cut courage and nudging. And then I went and talked to my vice president at the time and said what I wanted to do. And he was ex a, another person extremely supportive and said, you're gonna do well. You're gonna do very, very well. I support you um, and whatever you need. And so, um, so it actually, I would have to say I was lucky because I did get a lot of support from them. Um, and, um, and I just said, I'm gonna do it. So I dropped the paperwork and I, and I went ahead and did it. And, um, and so we're now almost up to 30 people right now, and we plan to have a pretty big year this year, um, but in focusing on, on, um, on development, but, and growing, so. What advice would you give? It, it was a tumultuous 2020 for many, and if you survive 2020, you know, my personal mantra is you can survive anything, but, you know, you, you know, you survived 2020, uh, it is almost incredulous to think that some companies are still growing, that the growth pattern has not been interrupted by all of the things that have gone on. But now we've had this, this incident that happened on Capitol Hill. Uh, we, we've got a change in administration. We've, we've, we are leaving 2020 behind, but certainly a lot of the things that troubled us about 2020 uh, have carried into 2021. What is the keys to success? Give us two or three keys to success for small organizations 
who are looking to continue their growth in the coming year? I would say still focus on the people um, and and putting up, thinking outside the box, um, honestly. So what we have done, we use 2020 to stay the course. We want, we expected to grow, you know, our, my growth target every year is 30%. So I, I, I want to grow 30%. I shoot, you know, and I was meeting that and exceeding it every year until this year. Um, so, you know, while we didn't get to 30%, we did still grow. Um, but what we did is we focused uh, on getting um, our 8A certification, which allows us to get, you know, different contracts with 8A, GSA, um, get on the GSA schedule. So other, um, you know, other ways that the government can buy from us. That's things that we typically wouldn't have the time to do before um, because we're so head down. I'm still on client site. My business partner's still on client site. So we really looked at it as using it as an opportunity um, to put in extra structure and um, and contract vehicles that we needed to really, you know, catapult us. But the other thing we did again when I said people focus, we had the we we usually meet with our um, everyone in our company once a week on client site. So with the whole uh, coronavirus and we're now shipped off site, every all my whole company was on site. Um, we had to think about it differently. Um, so we were doing phone calls. I'm used to, I'm more high touch. I'm usually, I want to be in person. I want to be touching people. And, you know, so um, this was a little bit more difficult handling everything through telephones. But even though it was a tough year for us, even though we didn't hit targets that we wanted to, we still gave raises. We still gave bonuses. We still met with, with, with the team and talked about the development and where do you see you, yourself in three to five years? Um, so we still wanted to make sure that people were still the focus. And um, if you keep your people happy, I always believe that your company will be successful. Um, so we, you know, I would say definitely still focus on the people, still focus on development, look at ways that you can now get training in other areas. Um, you know, and, and look at ways that you can get other contract vehicles. We started building relationships, meeting with other companies and selling, you know, selling our uh, services and what we could do for them. So um, I, would, I would say those are the, the main points. So here's my curveball question for you. Don't feel bad. I throw a curveball at everybody that, that, <laughs> that is our guest on our show. When people hear this podcast and, and they ponder over all of the things that you've shared. There's one more thing that I want you to share with our audience that I know is near and dear to you. And there are a lot of people who, uh, who struggle with it and that is self-care. So tell us what you do. I, I know that you are a vegan or, or you've, you've recently begun a vegan lifestyle. And you know, I've seen you work out. I've worked out with you. I, I really don't look forward to that ever again. Um, <laughs> anytime soon anyway. Uh, I know you uh, uh, have different challenges, you know, physical challenges. So, so talk to us about self-care. How do you, how, how do you take care of Angela? So I can get depressed at times, at times if I'm, uh, you know, there's a certain weight that I like to stay within. Um, so if I see myself shifting, then, you know, I usually will do some fad diet or some crazy thing. And so this year I really focused on, um, on changing my eating habits. Um, I also had a little bit more time to watch Netflix. So 
<laughs> you along with the rest of the country. Yeah. But I used that time to look at documentaries. So I did What the Health was very influential in me going vegan. Um, so in June, I decided to go vegan and more plant-based. Um, working out, I used that opportunity. Now I, you know, I could wake up in the morning and I could, I could jump on the treadmill or something in the morning or go to boot camp class um, in the afternoon um, or run around the neighborhood. Um, so definitely um, working out and eating right are really important to me because that does shift how I feel, you know, and if I feel good about myself. Um, and I would say also, I really have focused not only on personal health, but on mental health. And um, I have, uh, I've been reading books on mental health and how to, you know, strengthen your mind, how to love yourself, how to, you know, those types of things of, you know, I have a lot of love for everybody. And, and then I'm the last person that I think about, about loving myself. And so that's definitely one thing that I've, I tried to focus on this year as well is love myself first. And it's, it's not selfish if you do. Um, learning that and teaching myself to do that um, was a challenge, but it was fun. So I definitely feel like I've kind of had this time to read some books and overcome that. Um, and um, an investment. So I also use this time to learn about stocks and investing. And I had stocks before, but I didn't know what I was doing. And I'm really, I'm still learning. I mean, but definitely um, looking at, you know, investment portfolios. We talked about my kids. That's the other thing I now am teaching them about. They play Roblox all the time, which I don't know if you've heard of Roblox, but they're, they're about to go and have an IPO in stocks and they want to buy Robux. And I said, no, 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 let's not buy Robux, let's buy stocks. So, <laughs> right, right, right. so anyways, teaching moments um, wherever I can find them. But, um, but anyways, I would say definitely trying to plan for the future and learning better ways on how to do that. Um, as always with our show, uh, it has become a tradition uh, I kind of go through the first gauntlet of questions and then Hope uh, gets the last question. She gets the last word and, and she uh, usually asks questions that are very uh, insightful and uh, very beneficial for any number of people who might be listening to the show. So uh, Hope, over to you for the, the final question or round of questions that you want to present to Angela. Well, thank you, Tony. Thank you, Angela. This has been so fascinating. What a phenom you are. We're so honored to have you on the show. My question to you, you are going to be featured in the, you're already on Incandescent Women magazine, which is our, one of the magazines that we publish in addition to the radio show. Um, so we're going to feature you in February. And our, our story is about um, love, that will be our feature story, the few, what's next in love. So I, I think that's my question for you. Tony really hit it on the, the, the head when he asked about self-care, but what is it? what advice do you have for women who want to accomplish the amazing things that you have? How do they go about it? What, what would you suggest? You know, what's funny is, I would say just take it one step at a time or one, it, it's amazing like who I meet and networking and stuff um, and, you know, just having that one little idea with the, the computers and stuff and where that just like sprouted me and took me into all different types of directions. Um, so, but I would say, try not to take everything on at once. Um, 
I do like to say, start before you're ready. So um, that's my little motto. Um, because, you know, in, in diets, in whatever, people always have an excuse. Well, I have a wedding, you know, I have something coming up. And so I'm going to wait till after that. And then I'm going to go on a diet after that. You know, there's always some excuse or reason why they can't do it. I don't have enough money to start my company. At the end of the day, you know, I, I started with $5,000. So um, you don't have to start with a lot of seedling money. What you do need to do is start to put a plan together. So I do try to teach with women, with entrepreneurs and things um, to start with a plan, start writing out your plan and then and taking baby steps. And what do I need to do to achieve this plan? Um, but and then keep checking in on that plan and at different checkpoints and seeing where you are in it. And it'll be funny after you look at, you know, a year later, you'll look back at that plan and look at how many things you accomplished and not even realize it. Um, because of the fact that you took the baby steps that you needed um, and you didn't go too fast. Um, I could say I probably would have more people in the company right now if I just catapulted, but I really didn't want to do that. I really was focused on building um, a very high quality company, um, only hiring maybe one to two people a month um, and, and really not trying to hire 20 people all at once. And then I've got all this stuff crashing down on me. Um, so I really try to take baby steps I, and just keep on nudging, keep on pushing that ball, keep going up the hill. And then you'll, when, by the time you get to the top of the mountain and you look down, you'll realize how far you've come and, and, and it won't seem like it was anything. So That's awesome. I always think that, um, being a good entrepreneur is like being a good parent. You know, you, <laughs> you, you treat your company and your employees, like you want to raise your kids up, right? Yeah. And <laughs> keep it going. Yeah, no, I think it's really wise and just really inspirational. So Tony and I look forward to having you back on multiple, multiple <laughs> times and, and also on multiple um, shows. Uh, Incandescent Kids magazine is one of our next rollouts. Cool. So we would love to have you come on and talk about that. I'll talk about your project for kids. It's brilliant. And I'd love to help you brainstorm about getting that into more schools because there's nothing that we need more than to have kids know that they can do it and then get let them show them the way, right? And show them that there's something at the end. Yeah. Um, I, I really respect that you really focus on the Title I schools because those kids really need that kind of love and support that we're we're all supposed to help them with. So that's fantastic. So there's so many good things and you are fantastic. Tony always brings on the most amazing guests. So I, I thank you so much. Yeah. No, thank you. Thank you, Tony, for even thinking about me and reaching out. I really appreciate it. Um, this is so much fun. And we, me and, I, and him had talked about years ago. I really want to try to get more opportunities to to speak and to um, you know get things out there. I, I'm not very good at promoting myself or promoting um, bus the business and things like that. But I, I definitely want to. That's one of those things I want to get better at. And because um, we are doing some really good, cool things, and and I, I'd love for people to hear about it. So Angela, you you are what people call a boss, right? <laughs> you know, a lot of people a lot of people talk about that like this. This just something they say but you are truly a boss lady, right? Uh, <laughs> boss woman. So um, thank you so much for coming on the show. More to come uh, as Hope and I are very invested in your success, the, su the success of uh, Kids Code 2 as well as Case and to see how we can help you go as far as you can. So uh, Hope over to you to wrap up. 
All right. Well, thank you. Thank you both. It's really an honor to have such a truly amazing woman come and speak with us and uh, looking forward to sharing your brilliance with the world. That's what the incandescent group is all about, connecting people and giving them voice, because I, to me, that's the only the only the only thing I'm here to do is to help spread the love. So you are listening to the incandescent on the incandescent radio show Black Lives Matter with your host Tony Farmer and tonight's guest the amazing Angela Mitchell founder of Case and Kids Code 2 just brilliant stuff. So we look forward to talking to you next Sunday and we're going to start to actually go live on Facebook and YouTube. So you'll not only hear these podcasts but you'll get to see us record them and talk to these truly amazing people men women uh, and, and kids eventually. So you are you are great to be with us tonight. I'm Hope Katz Gibbs, founder of the Incandescent Group, and we look forward to talking to you soon. Stay stay well. So that's all for today's episode of the Black Lives Matter radio show on incandescentradio.com. We have an amazing lineup of future guests, just like you heard on today's show. So be sure to tune in for another episode and tell your friends about us so they can listen too. If you or someone you know should be a guest on our show, send me an email, hopecatsgibbs at gmail.com, and we'll be in touch. Again, this is blacklivesmatterradioshow.com on the Incandescent Radio Network. We look forward to talking to you. Until then, stay safe and be well.